Let's go to the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God. One verse. One verse. All of our attention on this one verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will help us. Holy Spirit of God, help us. We come to you, Father, on the righteousness of Jesus, and we ask that the Spirit guide our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing and hope and joy. Father, I pray that walking out of here will be different than when we walked in. God, I pray that you would, that you would reignite our love for the truth that takes us to Christ. Help your people. Help people here today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I wear a suit every Sunday. I do that because it's like a uniform for me. I don't have very good fashion sense. You don't have to have very good fashion sense to wear a suit. It's all put together for you. Uh, it's gray or it's blue or some variation of the two. Go inside your closet and you find a white shirt or a blue shirt. I only got two kinds of shirts that I wear on Sundays. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just boring. So you don't have to think much about a suit. Put it together and find a tie that doesn't scare the children. You're ready for the day. <laughs> wear those suits and we'll wear them a couple of times before you go to the dry cleaner with the suit. So that means that from time to time I'll put my hand in a pocket and find something I left from the previous Sunday. Oftentimes it is a note someone gave me or a lot of times it's a drawing a child has drawn of me or something that's a reasonable facsimile of me giving that to me. From time to time though there are some shining instances when I reach into my pocket and find a $20 bill. Amen. In the distance I can, in the distance I can hear the hallelujah chorus as the angels sing and celebrate the treasure that I have discovered. Well, this verse is like reaching our hand into the Bible and finding a treasure we didn't know was there. This little verse, we've just sort of parachuted in, this little verse is tucked away in the middle of what Paul is teaching the church at Corinth. He's teaching them about Christian giving. And in this little pragmatic section on giving, there is this profound doctrinal jackpot. It's just 21 words, this little verse. It's just 21 words in Greek found in the middle of Paul teaching this church how they ought to be giving. He's discussing uh, taking up an offering for the brothers and sisters, the Christian church in Jerusalem that's, that's suffering. They're poor and they're having a hard time. And so Paul is going to churches and he's convincing the churches to give to the people in Jerusalem. To convince the church at Corinth, verses 1 through 8, he says, now, you should know that the church in Macedonia, even though it's a blue-collar church and they don't have much money, they're really poor, they gave a whole lot. Now, you don't want that church in Macedonia to outdo you. 
He says that in verses 1 through 8, but then he thinks maybe that argument is not strong enough, and that brings us to verse 9. And in verse 9, Paul lifts up the Lord Jesus. He ups the ante, and he holds up for us Jesus Christ as the greatest example of love and sacrifice that the world has ever known. And today, here's what I want to do. Today, I want to just spend some, moment, spend some time in this verse. I want to squeeze this verse right here for all the soul nutrients we can get as we set our minds and our hearts on the coming of the Lord Jesus and all that that brings. It is Christmas, and I want you to take heart. Take heart. There is, like this will be the sermon, there is hope for us because of Christmas. From this text, I want to take several things. In fact, that's the word I'm going to use is the word take. I want you to take. I want you to get several things. Here's the first one, number one. I want you to take hold of what you already know. How are you going to make it through Christmas? Take hold of what you already know. You see the phrase right there, verse 9, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know it. Most of us sitting here this morning, we don't need some new doctrine. You don't need a new teaching. You don't need to have something that's going to be theologically sort of explosive for you that you've never thought of before. You don't need me to say something profound and life-changing. That's not why you're here today. The truth of the matter is, you don't need a new revelation. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of you sitting right here, you need to get your head up and take hold of what you already know. Are you depressed or defeated? Are you depressed? Are you sad? Discouraged? Burdened? Been hurt? Maybe you just have been torpedoed, hurt? Guilty? Man, guilt's a hard thing. Come in, waves of guilt and shame. Today, I want you to take hold of what you know. For you already know. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. See the word grace? I would underline that word grace. We've talked about no. I would underline that word grace. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace. What is grace? Grace can be, fine, can be defined lots of different ways uh, for our purposes. Uh, it's best to think of grace as unearned, unearned love undeserved love, unearned affection from Jesus. Or you might think of it like this, the undeserved way that Jesus thinks of you and acts for you. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think the word grace, you might, wanna, you might divide it up into several ways. A good way to understand grace is several different ways. There are three ways to understand grace. One is the word common grace. The other is the word sustaining grace. The other is saving grace, common grace. Common is for everyone, common grace. Let's talk about common grace for a little bit. The Bible says that it rains like it is today. It rains on the just and the unjust. It rained on mean people. It rained on nice people today. That's common Grace. When the sun comes out, the sun shines on people that are Christians, people that are not Christians. That is common grace. Grace that is common for everyone, whether you believe in God or 
not. Common grace is a great thing. This morning I had a piping hot cup of coffee. That was common grace. Hot coffee, common grace. Bottled water, common grace. Today you drove the... Today you drove to church and the air stayed in your tires. It was common grace that somebody was smart enough to make a tire to fit on a rim that didn't deflate and got you here. But it didn't happen because you were nice. It's just common grace. That's the way the world works. Sitting in a building with air conditioning is common grace. If you get sick or you hurt yourself some kind of way, you can go to a doctor and God has made it so that doctors have been educated, whether they are Christians or not, to treat you. That is common grace. The fact that you can fall in love, common grace. Mean people fall in love. People that aren't Christians are able to fall in love. An umbrella is common grace. You don't get an umbrella just because you're a Christian. You can be hateful and have an umbrella. Electricity, common grace. A good steak on your plate, I love a good steak. That is common grace. Chocolate is common grace. Plastic, common grace. The American-made V8 is common grace. Change of the seasons, to enjoy the change of the seasons from summer into fall and fall into winter and winter into spring. We all enjoy that. That's common grace. To, to stand on the beach and look out at the vast ocean and think about how beautiful it is. You don't have to even recognize that there is a creator. You can see that it's beautiful. That's common grace. Go to the mountains and look out across the mountain range. You you can see that and recognize that it's beautiful. Even if you don't say, God did that, that is common grace. You've got a good family pet that you really love, that's common grace. It's a gift from, from God. If it's a cat, it's from somewhere else. <laughs> Just kidding, cat people. Just kidding. Just kidding. Cats are wonderful. Common grace for you. Common grace. Indoor plumbing, you've got indoor plumbing, common grace. You don't have to be nice to have that. That's just a gift from God. Penicillin, the cure is common grace. 10,000 other things that you can list that God has given his broken creation in his kindness, he has given to us in this fallen world. And it's good. Paul says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just common grace, though. Let's bring it down a little more narrow. A little more narrow. That would be sustaining grace. Some of you know sustaining grace. You can stand right here at the end of this year, December, look back over 2023 and 22 and 21, maybe the last three years. I want you to think with me right now what God has carried you through. That's sustaining grace. That he has sustained you when you didn't think you were going to make it, and yet here you are. That wasn't because of your strength. That's grace. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the sickness that you've been through. Think about some of the hurt. Man, to be hurt, to be crying, to be hurt. Or, or, or have... have have walked through a divorce. Heard it said that divorce is one of the most difficult things to walk through, that it feels like you're dying, uh, and, and yet he's, he's walked you through that. Think about the tragedy. A lot of you have walked through some sort of tragedy. Here you are in 2023, and it's one of those things you wonder, how in the world are we going to make it through that? And yet it is the sustaining grace. And Paul says, look, 
you need to, to remember because you actually already know this. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody has done you absolutely wrong. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've made mistakes this year, terrible mistakes. Be careful how you talk about mistakes. <clears throat> uh, to make a mistake is morally neutral. So you make a mistake, it's morally neutral. You, you, you chose the wrong thing. It was a neutral act. That, let's not describe sin like that. Sin is not a mistake. Sin is a willful act in real rebellion against you, what you know to be right. That, that's, that's not a mistake. Sin. Don't you look at that now. That, look at that sin. And God, in his grace, walk around with the guilt of that because you don't have to. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're homesick or lovesick or been mistreated at work, handed a, a cancer diagnosis and you wonder how you're going to walk through that at this age, Paul says, you, you know grace. You know the grace. Something that maybe you should claim is, is the promise of Scripture. The promise that God has made to his people in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. What did the Lord say? Isaiah chapter 43 to verse 2. God says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. you go through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flame will not consume you. You ought to take that verse right there and pray that verse right there. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. I'm praying that right now. You need to take hold of what you know, common grace and sustaining grace, that the Lord is sustaining. But there's something else here that we know is Christian, right? There's the Christian gospel here. That is the saving grace of God. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that grace. All of you here that are Christians, you have put your hope and trust in the righteousness found in Christ. That is the gospel. The saving grace of God found in Jesus, that is the gospel. If you are a visitor here, or you had not been to church in quite some time, and been here in a while, and you walk into this building and, and you think, I'm... I'm not worthy of being here. You are right. That is the right attitude. If you were worthy, grace would not be necessary. You would have done that on your own merits. The, the understanding of grace is that we are not worthy. That's the whole point. That's why we feel guilty for the sin. We understand we don't deserve to be in the presence of God. And Paul says, but you know, you see, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is the gospel. Grace is the gospel. Grace tells us that, this is what the Bible teaches, that God created us in his image, Adam and Eve, 
put them in a perfect place in the garden. They fell into sin. That's the story of Genesis. By Genesis chapter 3, the curse of sin has taken hold of creation. It has made it so that man and woman are not in fellowship with God. They are not in fellowship with one another. Genesis 4 is the first murder, brother killing brother, and it goes downhill after that. And we inherited that sinful nature. That sin is not just mistakes we make. That sin is not just bad. It is rebellion against God. God, who is just a just judge, must punish sin. He says that the wages of sin is death. But he is not just just. He's also loving and good and kind. He gives us Jesus. This is the gospel. This is Christmas. Jesus, although rich, becomes poor. Jesus comes to the earth, lives as a man, human, fully human, fully divine, there earns the righteousness that we can't. He's in perfect fellowship with God. We don't. He keeps every command and then goes to the cross. And here's the gospel that, that God punishes his son instead of us. He takes our place on the cross. So the wrath of God is poured out there. And the way that that is appropriated for us is you trust that Jesus did that for you. And if you trust that, what happens is you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm asking you this morning, take hold of what you already know. Let me give you something else to consider, to take. Here's the second point, number two. You ought to take seriously who you know. So take hold of what you know. You know the grace. Take seriously who you know. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that in verse 9? It is an unusual thing for Paul to do in the middle of a letter. A lot of times at the end of the letter, in a doxology, he might say the Lord Jesus Christ. But right here in the middle of the letter, it's like he's given us a creed. He gives the full name of the incarnate God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's asking us to take this seriously, to slow us down to see all who Jesus is. He is the Lord. Let's, let's break those phrases down. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. So what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul writes, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And it goes on to say, So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why is he Lord? He has accomplished the work of redemption. What comes with his lordship? How do we understand lordship? When I say Jesus is Lord, what do I mean by that? Let me give you just a couple of words to sort of fill in what lordship is. Here's the first one. It's a big one. It's the word sovereignty. The word sovereignty. That means that he is Lord over your life, that he is master over your life, that he's master over your life and your actions and your dreams and your future and your situation. You might say it like this. Christ is in control, that he's Lord. There's another way to understand the lordship of Jesus. And that is the word prerogative, prerogative. Most of us here as Americans, we understand individual rights. We want to have the prerogative to make our own decision on things. We have that. When it comes to having Jesus as Lord, we give up prerogative. Jesus has prerogative. 
When I say prerogative, the way the Bible teaches it, you can go to Romans chapter 9 and find this if you like. You also find it in Jeremiah. It's the understanding of God being the potter and we are the clay. God as the potter takes the clay and he shapes the clay into whatever he wants that clay to be. That's what Romans 9 says. It goes on to say, and the clay doesn't have the right to say to the potter, why did you make me like this? Because he has prerogative. Now what is he doing in your life that you've been resisting and fighting and, and bitter about? What has been painful and the hard providence that he's been shaping and using to sand you down and, and make you into what he wants you to be? He has prerogative. He is Lord. Well, you know the grace of the Lord. But it's not just the Lord. It's the Lord Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus. The Lord is divine. Jesus, human. The Lord Jesus understands. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, found out Mary was pregnant, the angel of the Lord came and and, and spoke to him and said to Joseph, Mary will bear, she, she's going to give birth to a son. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. There's the humanity of Jesus. There's the, the, the mortality of Jesus that Jesus was born like every other baby that's ever been born. That Jesus would live and breathe air and eat food and be hungry and tired. That Jesus will, would, would die, be susceptible to being pierced and killed and wounded, breathe his last. That Jesus, when he was alive, he would be tempted and resist the temptation on our behalf. That Jesus was able to live and look at the Ten Commandments and lay them out and, and fulfill every one of the Ten Commandments and every law of God that Jesus, as a man, lived like Adam was supposed to, in perfect fellowship with God. And, and when you come in here and you realize you're not worthy and you are not righteous, you're a sinner, quit looking at your righteousness and look to Jesus. This text says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus. Take seriously his righteousness. Look, yours, you know what yours is? The Bible says yours is filthy rags. That's what yours is. Your righteousness, the, you doing the best thing on the best day that you've ever had when you're living your best life, filthy rags. You look to Jesus. Jesus takes, Jesus takes your condemnation. Look, here's what the cross is about. Jesus takes your condemnation. Jesus takes your guilt as a man he takes the place of humanity. He takes that. It's important to understand he is not just the Lord that's divine. He is Jesus. He's the Lord Jesus. Look at the title. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the title, Christ. It's what Peter would say, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one from time immemorial. You are the fulfillment that all of the, when you read your Bible and you go through and you see symbols, all of the symbols, all of the foreshadowings, all of the types, all of that found in the Old Testament are pointing to Christ. All of the prophecies, we read them in Isaiah 53, we, look, we, we see all of that. that is pointing to 
Christ. All of, those, all of those predictions are pointing to Christ. All of the leaders in the Old Testament, Joshua, and even some of the judges. There you get to Samuel, and finally Saul, who would be king. And then at the apex is King David. And we have pictures of a king like David. They are there to point us to Christ. That he is the king. He is Lord, divine. He is Jesus, man. He is Christ, the king. And there you can put all of your joy, all of your hope, all of your strength, all of your future, all of your forgiveness. All of that are found in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, take hold of what you already know. You know the grace. Take to heart, or, or at least take seriously, who you know, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now take to heart. I'll give you the third one. Take to heart the meaning of Christmas. I tried to uh, roll this up. I had another point after this third one, so I tried to bring it into the third one, see if, it, see if it'll work. Let me just keep pointing to the rest of the verse. Take to heart the meaning of Christmas. That's the rest of the verse. Join me there. Verse 9, for you know the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was, here comes Christmas, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor. Here is the incarnation. This is what we're going to sing about tonight. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor. Let's just break the phrases down. Let's pull the middle one out. Let's start with rich, then we'll go to poor. He was rich. There was no one richer than Jesus. Jesus would say before Abraham was, I am he in his pre-incarnate state before he was born as a baby before he became man he was rich the bible tells us that jesus living from eternity past that there with the father before the incarnation he was endlessly happy in uninterrupted fellowship with God the Father in the presence of billions of angels and the angels worshiped him, he was rich. He was living in unapproachable glory and light. He was rich. He lived in perfect love. He lived in perfect peace. He lived in perfect holiness. He lived in perfect joy. He lived in perfect sustenance. He did not depend on anything outside of himself for his own existence. There has never been a time when Jesus did not exist. Paul in Philippians says it like this, that great hymn, Philippians chapter 2. Paul says he was, for, he was, found, he was found in the form of God. He was rich. But he became poor. Rich, but became poor. Philippians 2 verse 6 says that although he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a, things to, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He was rich, he became poor. This is what Christmas is. He was born of a peasant girl, born of a woman, born into a world where he was under the law. There had to be sacrifices made for him after he was born. Romans 8 says he was born into the likeness of sinful flesh. 
Hebrews 2 tells us that although in his preexistent form he was worshipped by billions of angels, Hebrews 2 says that for a little while he was made lower than the angels. Though he was rich, he was made poor. Left heaven's glory, tempted in every way, although without sin. People would say, I'll follow you anyway, Jesus. Jesus would have to say that the Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Although he was rich, verse 9 says he became poor. He was rejected. He was ridiculed. He was persecuted and betrayed and spat upon and suffered and beaten and crucified and dead. Poor. Although he was rich, he became poor. Now go back. Go back with me to the verse. Go back with me to the verse. I left out the middle because I want to bring it at the end. Although he, look at it, verse 9, although he was rich, see that phrase in the middle? Yet for your sake, he became poor. It's intensely personal. From the highest heaven, Jesus descended to earth, and not only descended to earth, goes to the cross and to the grave for your sake. But, but, but why? Why does this happen? Why is it necessary? Go with me. You'll find it in the verse. Look at the end of the verse again. You see it? You see that little phrase, so that, so that. Let me show you. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. See that phrase? So that, that is what is known as a purpose clause. That is telling you why all of that happened. So that the purpose is, here it comes, by his poverty, coming to earth, going to the cross, by his poverty, you might become rich. Not like a prosperity preacher would tell you the things that on earth that the rust and moth will get. Rich in heaven, rich like what Christ had before he became poor. Rich means you have all the blessings of God. Rich means you weren't a slave to sin anymore. You've been adopted by the blood of Jesus. You are a child of God, a son or a daughter of God. Rich means you've been restored. You've been healed. You've been forgiven. Rich means it's going to carry you through. You have relief. Joy will return. Rich means there is hope and true life and inheritance. In Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus is rebuking the churches, go read it sometime. He's rebuking them because they think they are doing well. And Jesus says, you don't know that you are wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. And here, Paul is telling us the greatest news possible. You know what that news is? Verse 9. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Brothers and sisters, there is hope for us because of Christmas. I want you to take hold. You already know these things. Take hold of what you already know. Not only that, I want you to take, take serious who you know. The Lord is God. Jesus lived and died for you. Christ is king. And then 
take to heart the meaning of Christmas. That although he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. As you think that through, join me. We'll close our service with a time of commitment and prayer. With your heads bowed this morning, I want you to think with me over a few questions. Think with me just for a moment, just for a moment, just for a moment. Think outside of where you're seated now. Think of somebody that's not here. Who do you know that actually knows the truth of the gospel? They've heard it. They know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They know that. They know about God's grace in Jesus, and they need to take hold. Maybe it's one of your adult children. Maybe somebody you're very close with and you love. I want you to pray for that person right now. When we sing this morning, you may even want to come forward and pray for that person. Who do you know that knows that needs to take hold? Now let's turn back to you. Let's go to you. Brother or sister in Christ, have you doubted the grace of God? Do you need to take hold of what you know, the grace? Do you need to, to claim forgiveness and restoration and hope and a return of joy? Have you forgotten grace? Not just common sustaining, but the saving grace of God. Are you here this morning? You saw so many baptized. Are you here this morning and you need the saving grace of God found in Jesus? This morning when we sing, I'll invite you to come forward. If you'd like to come and pray, you can do so and ask God to help you. Our pastors are here to pray with you. But if you, if you want to have a conversation about giving your life to Jesus Christ, you need to tell the pastor, I want to talk about getting saved. I need to be saved. If God has worked that in your heart today, I will invite you to come forward. Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace that you give us in Jesus Christ. We, we know that grace. We thank you that although being rich, Christ became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. I pray that you would help us live in the glorious riches of heaven, even now. In Jesus' name we pray.